Hi, this is Bill Cumbie. I'm a teacher with First Church Ministries, and I teach Sunday school, and we've been going through different books of the Bible. We were in Ephesians, and I gave an introduction last week, and we're going to go on from that. We're going to be talking about the Trinity today and why that's important and what God has for us in that, and, and why is it important that God is Trinity. Um, and so we're going to be talking about that, and then there'll be another lesson after that. I think they're going to be broken apart, but it talks about Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. So I'm going to open us in prayer now. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you that you love us and care for us and that you care so much that you gave us your word um, to help us know you better, that we might love you better, and that we might know others better and love them too. And Lord, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to your word today and that you would just um, comfort us with the fact that you care so much for us and love us so much. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. So um, last week we did verses 1 and 2, um, which is just the introduction, but we also talked about Paul and his trips and, what he, uh, and the Ephesians and, and the church he wrote to. Now, Paul actually taught there for a couple years. It had been, it's been about five years since Paul has taught them. Uh, he is now in prison, uh, awaiting trial, probably in Rome. He was imprisoned in a couple different places, but this is probably written during his Roman uh, imprisonment in Rome. And uh, he's writing, and the interesting thing to note is, is how Paul, now Paul knows he's writing instruction letters. This is not a personal letter, but how a person opens things is important too. And so Paul starts with a greeting to the Ephesians and immediately helps set a stage for what he's going to be talking about as he talks about the Trinity and why that's important and what the center of that message is. And that's that, that, that who we are in Christ and what, why did Christ come to earth and, and why is this important for us. And so I'm going to uh, read verses uh, 3 through 14 and we're going to discuss them. You'll see I've already broken them apart into God the Father and Christ and the Holy Spirit. Again, this is one of the best Trinitarian passages in, in the uh, Bible and, and again, uh, you'll, you'll come across people who say the Trinity was made up by the church. There was no word mentioned the word Trinity in there. And, and I just have to say that that's true, but you can have the concept without the word. Okay? If you look at, uh, for example, if you look at Genesis, uh, would you say Adam and Eve were married? And most people would say, yeah, they were married. Well, it, it never says Adam and Eve were married. It, you know, he, calls him, he calls him his wife, or her, her his wife, but there's no message that Adam and Eve were married. And so the concept of marriage is in there without the word. And so the same thing is here. The Trinity was actually formulated, and the whole concept of it was formulated to help us understand who God is. The, 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 God is simple. God is one. And, and simple, I mean that can't, can't be broken apart. In his essence, he is one. And yet he's three in that essence, too. And so it's a very hard concept. We're going to talk a little about it today. And we're going to talk about uh, what the uh, members, the persons of the Trinity, do in our lives, how they work together for our salvation and our encouragement and, our salva- and one day our glorification to be with them. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And again, this is how we know this is broken into three parts, because each of the one has this refrain, to the praise of his glorious grace, 
or to the praise of his glory, similar expression. And then we go move on to what Christ has done, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on earth, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And I know I stumble on words because I'm thinking ahead <laughs> as, as we talk, that's how it's going to be. Um, so I do have some passages on the Trinity I want to put in here just so you can understand that this is not a concept just in one place. Um, and John um, is, is a very deep passage. It has a lot of passages about the Trinity, and we're, we're going to have a couple other passages a bit later on. But here, here John's talking about, if you, keep my, if you love me and keep my commands, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate um, to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. And he, it's necessary for him to leave, that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us. Um, and, he, and then when he says in John 15, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So he's talking, and talking about the Holy Spirit. And he has, again, I have much more to say to you, more now that you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me, because it is from me, and he will receive what he, what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me, and he will make it known to you. Now, I know these passages are all about the Spirit, not about God the Father and God the Son, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, and a little later, there's a passage that basically talks about the Spirit and the Son being one. So we're, in, we're going to get into that. But what, many times, uh, in fact, there's a book written uh, by Francis Chan called For God and God. And uh, he talks about the Holy Spirit. So God is not, uh, is not two. He's three. And yet he is one. And so we're going to talk about that in, in, in what they do in uh, this next passage here. We're going back to this section um, here. Um, that God the Father uh, has blessed us in Christ, with Christ in adoption of sons, and we'll go through that in, in some more detail, and that Christ himself was a sacrifice that brought us to God. Okay? By his blood we have been made, made whole and holy, and that in the fullness of time he will unite all things to himself. And then the Holy Spirit dwells with us now uh, and seals us. So there's actually... A bit of a uh, working of the Trinity, and, and, and this is 
There's heresies about the Trinity too. In fact, there are no good examples of the Trinity. What I'm going to give you is some, some concepts on here, but, there, but the God, has wor- God the Father has worked in the past, since before the foundation of the world he predestined us. Jesus not only worked as a sacrifice in now in the recent past, but in the coming days, all things will be united to him. There's a future tense there. And the Holy Spirit is with us now, dwelling with us now. So um, I, I want to talk about what's called an antinomy. An antinomy is a, a real or apparent mutual, uh, mutual incompatibility of two laws. So um, it's, it's like to say here, there's, there's these, these phrases here, uh, something sometimes they're self-contradictory. There is no absolute truth. Well, if you say that, that, that can't be an absolute, so there must be absolute truth. And, and, or you'll get something like this, um, this sentence is false, okay? So those are apparent ones, and those are sort of plays on words, and that's not what we're talking about with a real antinomy. A real antinomy is something that, that um, and even Scripture plays on that a little, okay? So you get Matthew 16.25, Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever who loses his life for my sake will find it. And, and, and that is cause, makes us think it's not exactly the same thing because he's talking about whoever would lose his life, his physical life, who is willing to give up his life, will find it in Christ. And so there's a different kind of life that's being found from the life that's given up. So, so this is more of not a play on words, but more of a concept that makes us help us understand that that there's an exchange going on here. Um, but there are some antinomies in scripture, true antinomies, ones that we can't understand necessarily. Uh, in fact, most, the, in most theological antinomies rise from a clash with time and eternity, uh, the finite and infinite. They're not contradictions, they're just very hard to understand. And I'm gonna have a couple examples on here. Uh, and then when we get back into the passage and actually see what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was, hopefully it'll help you understand the beauty of what God has done in our lives. So, so um, um, you get this, the Trinity. God is one and yet is three. Uh, and, and God is one in essence and yet is three persons. And yet um, you say, well, he's one in one way and three in another, but the three are not separate. The three persons all are God. Each is God and all are God, and yet they're not mixed together. So. Um, sometimes it's taken as a, a symbol of like a family, the, the family of God and the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, but that's not it. That's not what go, is going on here. God is one and yet is three. The same thing with predestination or free will. That's another antinomy. And we're actually going to deal with it here because it talks about God predestining us. Okay? How can you have free will if God has predestined you to do something? We're going to talk about, a little about that. Uh, how can Jesus be fully God and fully man? And um, how can God's will not be changed and yet prayer changes God? Okay, so that's Luke 18, um, 1 through 8, the unjust judge that gives in. And, and that story, again, is told by Jesus, God, to say that prayer is important and then changes things in God's eyes. Um, and yet we know that God is unchangeable. And so... Um, Rather, than, the reason I want to talk about this is a lot of people take this as a reason for Scripture's not true. But it actually is a comfort because these antinomies show that Scripture's not man-made because it would be much more consistent if it was man We wouldn't have all these problems if it was man-made. 
But the problem is, is it is given to us by a greater source and a greater mind, and we can't grasp that. And you might say, I can grasp it. I mean, I have, in fact, man vaunts himself in being able to understand. In fact, one of the biggest problems we have in Christianity sometimes is we, we try to systematize things and understand them so much that we don't accept the word because we can't resolve conflicts in the word. Uh, let me give you an example. Okay. Um, do we have free will or are we predestined? Well, Ephesians says, and we, the passage we're going to look at, uh, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, um, predestination is different from foreknowledge. People, sometimes people try to... Uh, collapses down into um, foreknowledge. But God, it says God predestined us, okay? There's a different word. There are different words in play here. And he did it before the foundation of the world, before we had even been created. Um, so how can you reconcile that with uh, Romans 10:9? If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, some people say, well, um, you can believe, but we're, we're dead in our sins, so no one really can believe. So your free will, you have free will, but it's only free will to do bad. But, but the, the gospel is a freely offered thing. If there's no chance for acceptance, it's not freely offered. And so I, you have this, this, this tension here with our free will and predestination. And this last one here, Acts 13.48, it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. And as many that were appointed to eternal life believed. And so there were people that were appointed to eternal life, and yet they still had to believe. Um, the, the best example I can give of this, and again, I'm rushing through it a bit, hard, a bit quickly, is actually in quantum mechanics. And quantum mechanics is the foundation of this world. That we, we, we are talking about now about quantum computers and stuff like that. Most of our electronics are based on quantum um, uh, mechanics. And so uh, but quantum mechanics teaches that there, there's such a thing as entangled particles. In fact, it's the foundation of quantum mechanics that these particles don't even have a state. So you see here, there's two states here. This is from an example that that's, uh, um, you can pull out. But uh, here is Alice and Bob. And Alice does, it could be up or down, and Bob could be up or down. Okay? And they really don't have a state. Now, there's actually a theorem called Bell's theorem that says we know they don't have a state. In other words, just because you don't know what the state is doesn't mean it doesn't have a state. But, but actually, there's a way to test that and the test of all wrong true that it doesn't have a state until you measure it. When you measure an entangled particle and determine that Alice is up, then you automatically know that Bob is down. It makes no difference. It's instantaneous, and they've done it up to, uh, I think they're up to about 20 or 100 kilometers now. So, so they, they can verify that this did not have a sense. You measured it and another thing happened. To me, that's the basis of a somewhat of free will and predestination. Yes, God has chosen us. Yes, he's predestined us. Yes, that's a great comfort to us. And yet, we must also say yes. There's a question there. I, I give, the example I give a lot of times is you might, be, um, you might be greatly in love with this girl and dating her and she's in love with you, and you know it, and, and you're, going to, but you're going to ask her to marry you, but you know what? She still has to say yes, okay? You might be sure it's going to happen, but she has the free will to say yes or no. 
And so there is something at play there that even though you know something, it still has to happen. It still has to. And so, and this, again, that's a bad example. And I tell you, there are no good examples of, 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 uh, of free will and predestination, these antinomies, because they're beyond our understanding. So it, this, is, this is one of the examples on predestination. Now, the Trinity, uh, again, there's, there's lots of examples on the Trinity. Um, uh, you, you can say that there's one God and three persons. Um, but that you can say one God and three persons, so that's how you get. Yeah, but that just kicks it down the road. You don't. Really, that's really not saying anything. But how can one be three? Uh, but it says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." And John says, "I and the Father are one." Um, so, so here you have one verse saying that God is one, and then Jesus saying, "I and the Father are one," and. Uh, and here, in 2 Corinthians, it talks about the Old Covenant and that Christ veils them. But when the veil is removed, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so there's an equation here of Jesus with the Holy Spirit. So... Um, they're not the same, though. They're different, and Paul distinguishes that, and yet he says they are the same. So, so there's an essence that is the same, and yet they're different. Well, what's different in the Trinity is, is, is relationships, okay? The, the, the difference in the, in, is that the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which has a really bum name, by the way. I mean, it'd be, it'd, the Comforter is probably a better one. Uh, the Paraclete, the one who comes and uh, comforts us and enjoys the fellowship of the Father and the Son. Um, the Holy Spirit sort of denotes, it, it, it comes from the King James, who calls him the Holy Ghost, where we get all this other baggage from it. But the, the, there's a trinity here. Uh, now, the Mobius Strip, and I, I just have a link on this, but um, the, the, link, the link will show you this. There's a, there's a way you can make a piece of paper. Now, a piece of paper has two sides, right? A, front, a top and a bottom. But you can actually take that piece of paper and give it a twist and put it together and make it a one-sided piece of paper. And that is not a parlor trick. It's mathematically true. I urge you to go to the YouTube uh, thing there and watch that. And all kinds of things come out of this Mobius strip. But most people cannot imagine a piece of paper with one side. If you didn't have that visualization there and you'll see it in the YouTube thing, you would say it's impossible for a piece of paper to have one side because our minds can't grasp that. We just can't. And yet it's true. So in a sense, two sides become one side in a Mobius strip. And so there's things that, again, that we just, that there are antinomies. Just because we don't understand them does not make them true. So um, the, the Trinity has been linked to a, a dance, too. And, and Mere Christianity talks about this. C.S. Lewis talks about this, that, that uh, God is not static. So we know that God does not change, and, and our views of God being impassable, i.e., he does not have emotions, okay? Uh, he, he doesn't change his mind, and yet in Scripture we see words like, God, and God repented as the evil he intended unto the, the nation when, when um, Moses is pleading for the life of the Israelites. And we see that Jesus urges us to pray, that God does seem to change, that God does seem to get angry, that God obviously does love, and so... We, we get those in these, um, these concepts in the Trinity. 
but the, the dance is one of um, continued activity. That the, the Father, and God did not create us because he was lonely, because God was self-sufficient. He was sufficient unto himself. He had relationships in and of himself in the Trinity. But he wanted to share that joy with us. And that's, that's part of the ultimate goal of what God wants. God wants us happy. God wants us to rejoice in him. God made us other than him that we might rejoice in him and enjoy him. Um, and so we see this. We come back to God the Father. Um, so uh, I have broken this down, and that's why I'm going to be talking off of, but this is just a breakdown of that. And, and it says, The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So in Christ... We have every spiritual blessing. Now, but lo, no, learn its location in the heavenly places. So we have spiritual blessings, and it's in the heavenly places. We are still in, that's an eternal truth. It's true now, and we are with Christ in the heavenly places now. And yet, um, there's a part where we're not going to be fully with him now. And so we suffer in this world, okay? And, and, and we're going to talk about that as we get into later into this passage. But he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's one of the greatest blessings of Scripture for me is the fact that I am not going to be like I am now in eternity. God has chosen me to be holy and blameless. All the stuff I don't like about myself, and trust me, there's a lot there, is going to be taken away because the stuff I don't like about myself is my sin. It's the part of me that's broken, that God has promised to replace. And he chose me. This whole cosmic plan has been, he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in Christ, in love, okay? Now, the Father, sometimes you get a, a mistaken picture that God the Father was angry because man sinned, and the Son said, I will sacrifice my, to turn away God's anger, the Father's anger. And so he came, and the Son loves us, but the Father... He sort of had to be placated, okay? Well, that's not true, okay? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all angry with us because of our, our um, rebellion against him, okay? And all of them loved us and worked for our redemption. And the Father destined it for us. The Son did it, and the Holy Spirit seals us for the coming redemption. But they all worked together in love. And, and unless you say the Son had the hardest job, those of the, you that are parents would probably agree, most of you, <laughs> hopefully all of you, that you'd rather die than have your child die. So, so the, the idea of sending the son was not God getting it, a father doing less, but actually doing more. He predestined us to adoption to himself as sons. And, and Bob's, Pastor Bob's covered this many times, that, that adoption in the Roman sense was like full sonship. It, there was no real di di distinction on that. And so we've been adopted as sons. Now, we are, I don't mean to say we're the same as Christ, but it's not Christ that adopts us, okay? It's the Father that adopts us into the family as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. So he does it through Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So Paul is, Paul is saying, this is a wonderful thought. So, so 
right now things are pretty messed up, okay? Right now we're struggling with this coronavirus and there's isolation and that's why I'm doing this and Jose's on the other end of the camera there and it's just the two of us and we're keeping our six foot distance and everything else. And, and it's really easy to say, well, what difference does this make? And the difference is that God wants us to draw apart and understand that this has been an eternal project of his, that he, this has always been the end game, that yes, there's suffering now, but there will come a time when there will be no more suffering and we will be eternally with God. And, th and this is to the praise of his glorious grace, okay? Um, we will glorify God. Just like when you're dating and you're in love with somebody, your friends get sick of hearing you talk about that person all the time because the more you talk about the, your beloved, the more you get excited about it and the less they want to hear about it a lot of times too is, is what we want to do with God because we want to glorify God because it will make us feel so much, so much wonderful that we can rejoice in the one who loves us so much. And so it's, this is to the praise of his glorious grace. And Paul wants them to praise God for that. And then we have the beloved. Um, so he's blessed us in the beloved. The beloved, redemption through his blood. Again, um, Christianity is a solidly historically related, uh, 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 historically rooted, excuse me, faith. We rely on what happened in history. And so we have this, this here, that he redeemed us through his blood. It teaches us several things. Number one, the physical is not bad, okay? That, that God created the physical and the physical is good. What's bad is rebellion and, and, uh, against God. And, and that can be spiritual or it can be physical. We can do physical as but, but the um, redemption had to be accomplished both spiritually and physically, and Christ came to that. By the way, this is where you get this antinomy of God being fully God, uh, Jesus being fully God and fully man. How can that happen? Well, for God's plan to work, the eternal Christ, the eternal God, had to penetrate into time and live in time and, and die as a man. And the reason he had to die as a man is because um, he is the new Adam. Romans tells us he's the new Adam. And when we find our life, we don't find life independently. We find life in Christ. And so it says, forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God knew we needed this. God, he, he knew that we needed it. He, he, he did it. And, uh, and he's also now, this is a new concept, making known the mystery of his will. Now, mystery is something hidden. And now it's been brought forth. And so the mystery is this, according to his purpose, which he, the Father, set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Now this is the key of Ephesians. Okay, this is the key verse you see at the beginning, that all things will be united to Christ. And that's why Christ came. And that's why he died for us. And that's why we as a church are united with Christ. And we're going to talk about that in the end of Ephesians. He actually talks about our union with Christ being like a husband and wife in deepest spiritual union. But then he, he reverts back and says, this is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. The union is deeper than the union between husband and wife. There. This is all about Christ. Okay, When you look at the passage here, Ephesians is all about Christ. 
all about Christ in him, in him. We, we covered that last week, but I just want to make you see what this is about. Christ is the one in focus here. Not even God the Father, not God the Holy Spirit, but God, uh, Jesus Christ. Um, and the Holy Spirit, it says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, which means good news of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now let me talk a lot with the, a little about that. These bullets that are underneath here are all my editions, they're not part of the text. But a seal identifies who sent it. So, so if Caesar sent a letter and seals it, you know it came from him because of his seal, and uh, the seal protects it from tampering. No one's going to open a letter from the Caesar, from let's say Nero, who was Caesar, by the way, at that time, uh, from, 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 um, from opening it. And it also conveys power and protection. Now, I, I, I might really want you to do something, but you're not going to do it. But if Nero told you to do it, you better do it or you die. Okay, so, so if Nero said there was a, a seal there that said, you open it up and says, I want you, you, you sh I've made judgment, you should slay this person. You do it under his authority, under his power, and you better do it because it's, it's the, it's, he conveys the power and the protection too. And a seal reminds us of who it comes from. So uh, love letters in the past used to carry seals a lot of time to not, not only do all the above thing, but also to remind the person of who it came from. And so the Holy Spirit acts as a seal. It says... Um, really, um, the, he's a first fruits. In other passages, it talks about the Holy Spirit being the first fruits. It's the beginning. It's a taste of eternity. Um, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We do not yet have our inheritance. We are like Abraham. We are, we are not yet inherited the land. Uh, we are promised it, and we look from it from afar, but we will not get to it until we get to the other side. To the praise of his glory. Now, I will say this, that um, the token is sweet in, in and of itself, okay? The, the, the seal is something that others don't have and that gives us something. And again, if you, you, are, uh, you date it uh, remotely or anything like that, you might have love letters still that you had from the person who wrote you that loved you, and, and you, you take those back and you read them and remember them. Um, the Holy Spirit is that, but the Holy Spirit is more. The Holy Spirit is a deposit, too. And the Holy Spirit lives in us, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do things. And so there's, um, we neglect the Holy Spirit at our own peril, and, uh, and our own joy, really, too. I think most of us live lives. I have to say, I, I am addled by a lot of stuff going on now. This is a uh, topsy-turvy time that we live in. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Holy Spirit assures us that God is in control. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He's one with us. Um, and we need to call on the Holy Spirit. And we need to take comfort from the Holy Spirit. Now the Church Fathers many, many years ago, um, uh, several centuries after the Apostles, formulated something called the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed, we're closing with this, the Nicene Creed talks about the, 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 the um, Trinity and how they act in there. And um, we're going to close on this. I know we're a little over 30 minutes, but we're, uh, this is an important truth because Orthodox Christianity is good Christianity. Okay? 
the church fathers thought about this for centuries. And they did not just write something down. They had a council where there were hundreds of people there uh, that had spent their lives devoted to Christ to try to help work out our things. And so this, this uh, that I'm going to read now and maybe comment on as I go along uh, is the Nicene Creed. Um, uh, formulated in 325 AD and then reaffirmed in another ecumenical council in 381. This is the truth the church held true and was willing to die for. Uh, these creeds were something that the church formulated because people wanted to know what was dying for and what wasn't. And so what is the true faith? What is really honest? Um, and that's what orthodox means, true and, and honest. And so we believe in one God, Again, one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father through whom all things were made. Again, not separate from God, but and yet separate. This is the... the Antinomy, the struggle of understanding who he is. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, and he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit, again, the Holy Spirit acting to, um, to have him born in the Virgin Mary, and he was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. It happened. He suffered and was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to scriptures. And again, um, Bob talked about that this past Sunday, the Saturday in between, and I was thinking he was, he, he was sacrificed on a Friday evening. In the Sabbath, the day of rest, he was in the tomb, but he was not resting. God was finishing his work. So on the first day of the week, on Sunday morning, he would rise again, his work complete. And so um, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. There, this is not a play. This is true. This is, this is not all just something that's um, predestined in the sense that we don't have a participatory right in it. It's something we participate in. And his kingdom will never end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. No one comes to the Father except through the Holy Spirit comes through the Son. No one comes to the Father except through the Son, and no one comes to the Son except through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and Son, and with the Father and Son, he is worshipped and glorified, and we only worship and glorify God. So he is God himself. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in the one, in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, and Catholic, for those of you that don't know, means universal, so it's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church, although that might be part of the uh, Catholic Church with the small c. Catholic means uni the universal church, which is the church of all true believers, um, an apostolic church. We have formed one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the, to the life of the world to come. Amen. And so there is something we're waiting for. And, and so Paul opens with this to a group of people that are not yet facing active persecution, but it's going to come up, it's going to come up soon, very soon for the Ephesians. Um, actually, within about two years of writing this, it was active persecution starting. Um, and he writes this to encourage us that God is at work in our lives and makes a difference. Now, let me close this in prayer. 
Lord, we thank you that you care for us, that you watch over us, that, that you, are not, um, you are not a God on a shelf, that you are a God involved in our lives and strong to save. And we thank you for that and pray that the Spirit might dwell in us and that we might glorify you through living lives of power through that Spirit and rejoicing in your great love. We pray in your name, Jesus.